My name's Pat, and we are in a series on Jonah. We'll take a pause next week. Um, Larry uh, Dorman, who is uh, one of the guest speakers at our Couples Night Out, is going to stay to preach on Sunday, but we'll return to it the week after that. So we're in part five, and it's uh, the Jonah's right choice. Uh, I'll catch you up very briefly. Jonah did uh, what Debbie did times a lot. He was told by God to go to Nineveh to preach against Nineveh, um, which was a hike, as I'll, I'll show you in a little bit. It was, not, it was not on the way. It wasn't a next-door neighbor. It was, it was a journey away. Jonah decided to disobey. Now, just, just so you know, Jonah's not just an average guy. He's like the prophet of Israel. His job is to listen to what God says and to tell it to the people that God says to tell it to. He goes in the opposite direction. He jumps on a boat. He pays for it. Some people think he may have even financed the whole journey, like not just like give me a ticket, but like I'll get a private boat for my journey and employ the sailors just so that I can get away from God. We don't know the details for sure. It might have been that. He heads out. A storm comes. He's asleep, not paying attention to that. The sailors wake him up. um, And in the end, it's found out that Jonah has been running from the God of creation, the one who created the earth and the sea. And Jonah told them, I know the storm is here because of me. Throw me overboard. Interestingly, if he was really self-sacrificial, he'd just jump off, don't you think? Why don't you just jump off, Jonah? No, he wants them to do the dirty work. Throw him off. He does eventually. The the sailors don't want to do it. They actually show a lot more um, fear of God than Jonah has. They don't want to do that. They try even harder, but they end up throwing him overboard. Instantly, the storm is gone. Jonah's sinking, and he probably thinks he's going to die. Maybe he wants to die. I don't know at this point. We don't know. But God graciously sends him another trial. It gets worse. Sometimes that happens in our lives. As we run from God, he allows things to get worse until we really respond to him, and he gets swallowed by a fish. Now, I'm not going to dive into the miracle of the fish. Um, I actually think that the miracle of the fish is really insignificant compared to the miracle of a man dying and rising from the dead three three days later after he prophesied that he would, which is what Jesus did. Jesus believed in Jonah. We're going to talk about Jonah here in in Jesus' words. But the, Jonah survives, he gets swallowed up by a fish, he gets puked up by a fish, and he, in, the min, in, the, in between those two, he, he prays a prayer that has some good things in it, but if you are a parent and you have uh, confronted one of your children about their disobedience, um, what you're expecting to hear back is a lot more than what Jonah prays to God. Um, recorded in Jonah. If you want to open your Bible or your uh, phone up to Jonah, this, this could be helpful for you to review. Um, Jonah prays some good things, some true things, some honest things, some real things that are right in line with what God reveals about himself. But do you know what he never prays? God, I'm sorry for disobeying. Will you please forgive me? It's nowhere in the book. It's never recorded anywhere. I don't actually know if he ever does that. We, actually, there are some signs, as you're going to see, not just today, but actually in the, next, the last three parts of the series, that Jonah, uh, he, God is so merciful. The, story, the whole theme of Jonah, I would say, is that God is exceedingly merciful and responsive to us in ways that blow our 
minds. Just a little bit of humility is pretty much all that Jonah, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, a little bit of humility he shows and God responds to it while he's in the belly of the fish. Today, Jonah shows, and I'm going to contend, he shows just a little bit of obedience. Kind of like bare minimum obedience, you know, when you're told to do something and you really don't want to do it and you kind of grit your teeth and grumble under your breath, but you do it anyways because you don't want to get fired. Or you're told to go clean your room and you don't really want to do it and you think it's really not mostly your fault, but it's your sibling who lives in that room with you, but you grit your teeth and you do it anyways. Jonah does that, it seems like. We don't see his teeth gritted, but he responds obediently eventually. So here's my sermon in a sentence this morning. It should be pretty easy to remember. God is eager to respond to our obedience. He's eager. He's, he's waiting to respond to us obeying him. It, how does he respond? Well, how he responds is he, sometimes he responds by saying more to us that we get a chance to respond to. Other times he responds by just showing us grace for doing that or giving us blessing in our lives, showing us goodness that we don't deserve. Some of that happens to Jonah. So I'm going to start with the story. Um, when my oldest daughter, who's 20, not here today, was I think about three years old, she really didn't like spiders. I don't know why. I don't think spiders are that big of a deal. Well, our piano was sort of like, we have a piano passed on in our family, and it's kind of in the living room of our house at the time, and there was just like a little gap. We didn't put it right in the corner of the, of the, of the wall, but there was like a little gap. I can't remember what we used to put in there, but we must have moved that stuff out of there, but in the corner was a spider with a spider web. It was like, this is an opportunity for Kayla to overcome her fear. I was inspired. So I said, Kayla, take this shoe. I have a really big, I have a size 12 shoe. That's what I wear usually. Take this shoe and go kill that spider. And she was more than a little reluctant. There were a few tears. And the father of the year said, we're going to help you overcome your fear. And uh, I said, Kayla, it's not, it, it won't get on you. Just go over there and hit it really fast and then run back over here. I'm sure telling the short version. Um, it would probably be better for her to tell the story, actually, because I'm sure you'd get a little more insight into my character at the time. <clears throat> In the end, she killed the spider. And uh, I reflected on it because she really, 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 really didn't want to do it. Um, but she did do it um, in the end. And uh, Jonah really, 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 really doesn't want to go to Nineveh. But in the end, he does do it. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. I'm going to read most of chapter 3. Uh, this morning in the sermon. We covered this last week, but I'm going to read it again because of Jonah's response. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is the God of second, third, and fourth chances. Jonah didn't deserve a second chance to obey, but he was given one anyways. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach this message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. It's interesting, the first time around, if you look at Jonah 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, get up uh, and preach the message I tell before you. It says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. It was like, I am going to immediately go in the opposite direction and disobey. This time, Jonah got up and went 
to Nineveh is what the text tells us. And here's the first observation. Obedience, lessons on obedience, obedience responds quickly. That, that's a big part of obedience is to do it quickly. Now, Jonah responds quickly the second time. The first time he didn't obey, he disobeyed. You could contend, and I wouldn't disagree with you, that Jonah actually delayed his obedience a long time, kind of like Debbie's story. But you know what? God responds to that anyways. So the distance, I got a map for you. The distance to Nineveh, it was a hike. Um, I kind of trimmed it. Um, that's the Mediterranean Sea there in Egypt. So the first, the little black squiggly line up there, that's kind of like an imagination of what Jonah's uh, journey on the ship and the whale might have been like. We don't know that exactly. Um, but he gets dropped off. He was from Joppa. So whether he ended up back at Joppa and had to hike up to Nineveh, which is in Assyria, right near the border of Persia there, or he got dropped off somewhere closer off and he cut off a little bit of time. Either way, it was a long hawk hike and you had to walk in those days he didn't really want to go there in the first place that journey would have taken days for sure maybe longer you think he had a little bit of time as he got up to go to Nineveh and he's on his way there I don't know if you like hiking I I I like hiking but I'm not sure I'd like hiking here depends on the time of year pretty dry pretty rocky Um, a lot of that country is although there's some very beautiful areas there too um, but you think he had a little bit of time to think about whether he wanted to go to Nineveh or not as he's walking? He sure did. Nineveh was not appealing. This was a very hard obedience. Nineveh wasn't appealing for a number of reasons. It wasn't just that it was way out of his way in another foreign country, a foreign country to his own, which everything would be different there. Um, Nineveh was also known, as I've said in previous messages, was known in the ancient world as being particularly wicked, violent, and actually torturous. When they went to war and they captured prisoners of wars, they were very happy to torture them. They were one of Israel's enemies. Nineveh Nineveh was, uh, people think maybe it was the capital. I tend to think it probably wasn't, but it was a very prominent city. In this time, Israel was not at war with Assyria. Israel was in a place of relative strength. Assyria was in a place of relative not as strong. Jonah left a very comfortable life. He was the prophet of the king of Israel in a time when Israel was prospering politically and economically. And he was benefiting from that. And he was told to go to this other place where people are not very kind. Think, if you will, of the 1940s and you're Jewish, which Jonah was, and you're told to go preach against the great country of Germany in the city of Berlin, and that's sort of what Jonah was asked to do. Jonah's life was pretty good. He was the prophet of the king of a prospering Israel, and so he was reluctant, but he finally made the right choice. God is, here's this sermon in a sentence again, I'm going to repeat it a couple of times so you don't forget it. God is eager to respond to our obedience. He's eager. He's ready. It's almost like he's on the edge of the seat ready to respond by giving us grace, by giving us mercy, by giving us more direction. Here's the next part of verse 3. It says, now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. It could be that Nineveh was so big that it took three days to walk around, Later on in chapter 4, we find out that 120,000 people live in Nineveh. That's, a fair, that's a, actually a ginormous city for that part of the world at that time. 120,000, maybe Fargo, Moorhead, something like that. 
So, I don't know, maybe it took three days to walk around. I'm, I, I and many other scholars are doubtful that that's what that means, but it could, it could have mean that. There's a lot of details that we don't know for sure. Mideastern protocol of that day would often require sort of a diplomatic protocol when a foreign dignitary visited another important city. So the three days could have meant it's a three-day walk, like you're accompanied, like let us show you this part of the city, Jonah, and let us show you this part of the city and have a meeting with this person and have a meeting with that person. That could be likely. What's interesting is what verse 4 says. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished or destroyed. It's an interesting message. That's, all, that's what he said. That's what's recorded. Um, some people think that's all he said. I think he probably said a little bit more. But that was at least the summary statement. Here's the second lesson for obedience. Obedience follows through. Did you notice it? On the first day, he didn't wait any longer. Maybe it was, let's just get this over so I can get back home. I don't want to be here. These people probably don't want me to be here. They're not going to like what I have to say anyway, so let's just get it over with. You guys obeyed that way before? Just get it over with obedience? Like, I really don't want to do this. I'll just get it over with. God will respond to that too. Now, he might deal with your heart later about that attitude, just like a parent, a good parent would. It wasn't exactly a, a real relevant message, you know. I'm not sure how appealing that would be to your neighbors or coworkers. <laughs> it's a message of judgment. God's judgment is coming. That's actually a real message in the Bible. Jesus preached it often. The reality is, is that all of us are going to face judgment one day. Assyria was going to face imminent judgment physically. If they didn't turn around, God was going to do Violence against the violent city in a way that would show his judgment on such behavior for the surrounding world. We don't know exactly for sure because it's not recorded if, if he said more. We do get a hint at Jonah's heart that this was perhaps bare minimum obedience. Okay, I'm going to say just the bare minimum. I'm not going to make it sound appealing. I'm not going to try to explain too much. It sounds like, as we're going to see by, the, by some of the responses of the people, that at least a little bit more information was shared by Jonah because of how they respond. But I just want to say this. God does love to use ordinary, humble, even if it's slow, delayed, or reluctant obedience to accomplish his purposes. He does do that. That's a part of how he shows us grace. He would prefer, and it would be best for us to respond quickly, cheerfully, and completely. That has been repeated many times in our house. Obedience is quick, cheerful, and complete. But even if it's not, even if, even if you're stubborn and reluctant to eventually obey, what we see in the story of Jonah, we're going to see here pretty soon, is that God will use even that kind of obedience for his good and other people's good. Um, if you've ever been afraid or you feel weak in, in being asked by God to do something, you have really good company in the Bible. There's a lot of people that felt that way. Moses felt that way. Lots of other leaders, prominent figures in the Bible. Let me read you Paul. I like to call this Paul's qualifications. These are his qualifications to obey God, which his call was to go from city to city and preach the gospel and help plant new churches. Here's, here's his qualifications in 1 Corinthians. I love this, by the way. You guys qualify for this, because I do. I came to you in weakness. You ever feel weak? 
in fear ever feel afraid, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom. I don't know how to talk. What am I going to say to my neighbor if God asks me to say something to him? Let me tell you, you are just as qualified as Paul. If you're afraid, if you're weak, and you feel like you're bad with your words. But with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. See, God likes to work through us who are humble, not thinking it's going to depend on how we do it or how good we are, but that we'll just do it out of obedience to him, and he will, through his power, do something we couldn't do on our own. Let me say it again. God is eager to respond to our obedience, whether it's weak, fearful, reluctant, delayed to accomplish his purchases. Now let's read a big part of, uh, of uh, Jonah 3. <clears throat> okay, so Jonah preaches that message. Probably not going to win any prizes for it, it sounds like. And it says this, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. Uh, that's part of the first clue that perhaps Jonah shared a little bit more because his message doesn't mention God. He just says in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Um, that's one clue that he might have said a little more. Or perhaps they just knew their consciences convicted them. Um, that word God, as I'll mention earlier, is not the word Yahweh, which is the personal covenant name for God. It's just the general God, like, do you believe in a God? That's the word in, 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 uh, in the original text. So they aren't calling on the name of Yahweh, Jonah's specific God. They're calling on God in general. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. I love this. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, so they, they're fasting. They're not eating. They're showing with their actions that they feel bad. They're putting on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning and humility. It's pretty itchy. And if you guys got a sackcloth dress or shirt that you want to wear, no, neither do I. It's not very comfortable. That's part of the thing is it makes, I'm uncomfortable with my behavior or what's going on in my life. That's why you put it on. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. He got up from his throne, his position of authority, took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. It's another sign of mourning and humility. And then he issued a decree in Nineveh, and this decree also reveals that perhaps Jonah shared a little bit more with them than is revealed in that first message. By order of the king and his nobles. Guys, this is crazy. This is completely like what in the world that a, a country like this, a city like this would respond from top to bottom so completely this way by changing their actions. We don't know what was going on in their heart, but we do know that they changed their actions. It's crazy. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, so any living being is to taste anything at all. Don't even feed your animals. We really need to show that we are wrong here. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and, animal, people and animals must be covered in sackcloth. That is a little over the top. People and animals. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. That's the general term again. That's not Yahweh, that's Elohim. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. And I love this question. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Again, this, this, that he's responding this way gives you some idea that 
maybe Jonah shared a little bit more with them. Like, God is about to do this, and if you don't change drastically, it's going to happen. Or God is about to do this, period, and it's because of what God, what Jonah, what God told Jonah earlier. In, in Jonah, very, the first, second verse, he says, their evil has come up before me. Maybe Jonah sh- shared that with them. Your evil has come up before God, and he's going to destroy the city. It sounds like he must have shared something like that because of what the king is saying, because he, he knows something that's going on. Or at least he knows that Jonah's a prophet of God. Okay, who knows? God may turn and relent, and he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Unbelievable that that happens. That much change of behavior and action and response happens. So here's the third lesson from obedience. God uses our obedience for good. No matter how reluctant, no matter how delayed, no no matter how we are afraid to do it, he uses our obedience for good. He uses Jonah's obedience for a a good in a way that is pretty unpredictable. No one would have been able to predict. You couldn't predict that if Jonah finally obeyed after all that time and he preached this message kind of begrudgingly and maybe he did a really bad job on purpose because he doesn't really want these people to turn, which we're going to learn, he didn't want that to happen. He was hopeful that God would not show mercy. Jonah's humility was incomplete in Jonah chapter 2, yet God responded with mercy. Nineveh's humility, to be honest, is incomplete. There's not an expression of like sacrifice to the God of Jonah or anything like that. But they do humble themselves, just like Jonah did humble himself in the fish, even though it was incomplete. And their sincere uh, and inspired acts of, instead of injustice, justice, instead of violence, peace, stop it. Um, let's, let's look at that verse. Hold on. I'm going to tell the story quick. Um, this is how a story of how God can use his obe- your obedience for good. So I have a friend of a friend. He was at time a middle-aged dad, and I knew both of these men separate from each other, but somehow you sometimes, hey, do you know this person? You tell a story. Oh, I met this person. This how. Here's how these two people met. Um, my friend Steve. And uh, middle, middle-aged dad. Uh, so this, this is um, who's going to speak here next week. Larry Dorman just told me the story. So he just told me the story because I have a friend named Steve who's a pastor in another city. And I said, oh, yeah, I just saw Steve. He said he knew you. Here's how Larry met Steve. Larry was a middle-aged dad, and he saw a pretty young man coaching baseball. And uh, he was doing a pretty good job of it. So he came over and just told him, like, hey, good job coaching. You're very patient with the kids. You're teaching them, you know, really well. Um, You're not showing impatience. You're really focusing on that. So Steve, many years after that happened, uh, called Larry up, and and, uh, it was about some ministry business, and, and, and Steve said, yeah, actually, um, I met you once. Um, I was a baseball coach, and uh, you just came over and encouraged me and told me how good I was, you know, what a good job I was doing as a coach, and you know what? He, this is why Steve remembered it. That was a really, really low time in my life. I was pretty discouraged. It was really hard, and to hear some positive words gave me something that I needed in that moment. You know when that happens, you don't forget it, right? Those kind of little things can happen and if you weren't in that moment, but just a little obedience, just go over and tell that guy that you noticed him doing something good. It's amazing. Here's what the, Jesus said about the sign of Jonah in Luke eleven twenty nine through 30. As the crowds were increasing, Jesus began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign. This is Luke 11, 29 through 30. But no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. 
For just as Jonah became assigned to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. So Jesus says that Jonah was assigned to the people of Nineveh. Interesting. Assigned. How was Jesus, Jonah, assigned? We don't know how Jonah was assigned. There are some purported stories. Tom mentioned one of them about people that have actually been swallowed by whales or other fish and survived somehow. And in some of those stories, their physical appearances change, like they get bleached or they lose their hair. Maybe there was this bleached prophet that was there. That would have been a sign. We don't know for sure. Just extrapolation. Or maybe that was this sign. Jonah did preach that message, but before he did, he said, Guys, I have a whale of a story to tell you. I was disobeying God and I ran the other direction, yada, 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 I already told that one. Could have been that. Or maybe the story of Jonah, if something that wild happens and there's witnesses, that story might travel ahead, you know? Perhaps there's some Ninevite traders that came and heard about this prophet of God who ran away from the Lord, was thrown off a ship, swallowed by a whale, spit out, all that kind of stuff. The Bible says nothing about that. We don't know, I'm just saying all that because we don't know what the sign was specifically. We just know that Jonah was a sign. And the important thing about a sign isn't what the sign looks like, it's what the sign points to. What the sign means. What the sign meant, what the sign of Jonah meant was that God's judgment is coming, therefore change Repent, that's what that means, change your mind, change the way that you're thinking about yourself and about God so that you can avoid it. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus goes on to say in Luke eleven thirty two: The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The men of Nineveh will stand up at, this, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because the men of Nineveh repented. They changed their minds at Jonah's teaching and look... Something greater than Jonah is here. So by the way, when I say I'm not sure if the people of Nineveh actually repented in the way that would lead to conversion and salvation, I don't know that. That word repent that Jesus used could mean that. It could also mean they just changed their mind because that word can mean that as well. Maybe the people of Nineveh are always, are, are, have been saved and we'll get to celebrate with them. We're not sure, but let me tell you this. Jonah was a sign of God's coming judgment. And Jesus was a sign of God's coming judgment. The difference is that Jesus took the judgment on his shoulders for everyone else. For you and I. Do you and I see signs of God's judgment around us? I'd say for sure. And in some ways, um, Tim Keller in his book, Rediscovering Jonah, which is a resource I've used in preparation, he says it this way. God created the world so that cruelty, greed, and exploitation have natural disintegrative consequences that are a manifestation of God's anger against evil. In other words, greed, cruelty, and evil, oppression of all kinds, they naturally cause a culture and a society and people in general to disintegrate, to fall apart, and that's actually a sign of God's judgment. Sometimes God pours it out in a more unique, more powerful, more punitive fashion. Sometimes he just allows the natural consequences of our sin to express his judgment against those actions. Here's the sermon in a sentence again. God is eager to respond to our obedience. <clears throat> so here's God's response in verse 10, the last verse of this passage. Okay, let's read it. This is, this is amazing. These people respond in an amazing way and God is eager to respond to them. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways, 
So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Basically, because they changed their action, he said, they will live another day. Maybe they had to face other judgment later because they didn't repent of of other things. But for now, God said, because they have changed the way they're going to live, because they have turned from their violence, I'm not going to do what I told Jonah I would do because now they're responding to me. And I'll give them another chance to continue responding to me. God's mercy is multiplied toward Nineveh. They did not deserve it. They were, I'm, you can go look up Assyria if you want and read some of the accounts. It is gross what they did to people. It's wicked. It was wrong. They did not deserve mercy. But they got it anyways. They responded and God responded. They responded to God and he responded to their humility. Friends, as we talked about last week, Jonah did not deserve mercy. He didn't deserve another chance. If he was your employee, you wouldn't have sent him back out to blow it again, possibly. You wouldn't have, and neither would I. And that would be wise of you to do. Sometimes God's mercy doesn't make sense to us, but he shows it anyways. Nineveh did not deserve mercy. They were shown mercy, guys, at the first sign of humility. This, this, this kind of humility could have been the kind that I just don't really want to get a spanking. And their spanking was going to be pretty severe. So I'll do it. We don't know for sure. There's, maybe there's some sign that there was some deeper repentance there. I'm not going to take that, away from, that possibility away from them. But I will say this. As we respond to God's word, as he tells it to us, as he, see, as he speaks into us, he will respond mercifully by revealing more to us when we respond to what he gives us. The little bit that he gives us, if we respond to that, he'll, merc- he'll show us mercy and give us more chances to respond to what he says. So here's my big question. By the way, I just got to share this quote. This is an awesome quote. Tim Keller preached on this a couple times before he passed away, and he said this in one of his sermons. It's like God is ready to show mercy at the drop of a sackcloth. And it's true. He is ready to show mercy at the very first sign of humility towards him. God is eager to respond to our obedience. He's eager to do it. So my, my closing prayer is just going to be an opportunity for you to ask, is God asking you to obey him in some way and you have been reluctant or fearful or rebellious against what he's asking you to do? Because he'll give you another chance today to do it and then he'll respond to your response to him. He's that kind of a God. He always gives us another chance. Let's stand for closing pr- prayer. We're going to close with the song of worship to our merciful and great God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a sign. Just like Jonah was a sign of your coming judgment, you lived as a sign of the judgment of God that we're all going to have to face. But more than that, you were a sign of your willingness. The judgment that we'll have to face came onto your shoulders. We, we didn't deserve, we don't deserve that. Uh, you're giving us a chance today to respond to your mercy toward us, to your grace. You, you, what we deserve is judgment. We're, we're far worse off than we think. We can look at the people of Nineveh and think, those wicked, horrible, violent people, I'm not like that. Nope, I am like that. I might not do those things, but I have a heart that's just as prone 
to do whatever it wants to do. And I need you, Jesus. We all do. Lord, is there anything today in someone's heart that's here? Is there somebody, something that you've been asking them to do, that you've been calling them to obedience and they've resisted or they have delayed? Or maybe you're just giving them something new today, just using this morning to say, I'm going to give you a chance to respond today to someone. Lord, give them the faith to say yes, that they might experience you responding to them mercifully, graciously, giving them the power to follow through on whatever you tell them to do, giving them the encouragement maybe by what happens in response or just continue to speak to them. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, that we would have hearts that would respond to you today. Thank you for being a God who's eager to respond to our obedience. In your name I pray. Amen.